And good evening, everyone. Welcome to uh, lesson number two, or installment number two of our series entitled Ten Steps to a New Spiritual You. Before we get started, would you join me in prayer, please? Our blessed Heavenly Father, we love you so very much, Father, and we thank you. We thank you for the avenues you've given us, Father, to not only grow spiritually, Father, but also to grow into total spiritual maturity and total godliness, Father. Father, we pray as we look at this lesson tonight, we will understand those four stages that take us from where we were before we became children of God to where you would have us be when this life is over and judgment comes. But also, Father, we want to look at the next stage also for our for becoming a, a new spiritual person, Father, as we continue to grow in your word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers for all of those who are ill and sick and traveling, Father. And we pray, Father, that if it be your will, Father, that you will continue to comfort them and support them as only you can. Heavenly Father, these things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So good evening again, everyone. In this lesson tonight, in this section tonight, what we're going to do is two things. We're going, first of all, we're going to review uh, the four stages of complete spiritual transformation. And when we talk about complete spiritual transformation, we're talking about the time frame when we become children of God as we continue to grow and mature in the faith here in this life. But we also looking forward to that time that we have hope of, that time where the end of the world is here and we will be resurrected and taken into heaven to continue to worship, praise, glory, and honorify God. Now, the second thing we want to do today is look at the second step in the new spiritual you process. Last week, we looked at the first, the foundation, if you will, which is discipline, self-control, self-discipline. So then what we're doing is this. We are in the process of learning the spiritual steps that will help us become more godly. It will help us become more pious. It will help us become uh, what the title suggests. It will help us to be spiritually mature. Okay, so there's actually five questions that was in this lesson, but I, I was when I was doing this, I came up with a sixth question, and the sixth question, you, it wasn't in the bulletin, but it's a question that we all can think about, and that question is on the board. If we, or we can make it more personal, if I am already saved, why do I need to make the effort to obtain spiritual maturity? Why not relax and enjoy the ride? If we're too re- if we're too relaxed, we're just going to slide backwards. So I think people always need to keep learning. Anyone else? Well, I guess the question assumes that you all have the same definition of the word saved. 
because that question makes it as a momentary thing instead of a lifetime thing. So depending on how you look at the question, will change how you'd answer it. Um, so you're supposed to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with the notion that it's a constant effort. It's not just one moment in time. So if you relax and enjoy the ride, and then you ignore that work you're supposed to be doing, then I guess the question would be, well, what are you, what are you trying to achieve at that point? I mean, what's the priorities of your heart? So, yeah. The Bible says, he that, is, um, that believe and is baptized shall be saved. If that was all we had to do, it wouldn't be another scripture in the Bible. I think uh, the Great Commission says it best. Uh, I think it's Matthew 28, 18 and 19, where it says, uh, teach, baptize, and then continue to teach everything that we had learned. So everything that the apostles learned. So, um, you know, in, in uh, Hebrews where it says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, uh, that's not a stopping point. That's just the beginning. Anyone else? Anyone else? I would say if you don't, if you don't take, if you just relax and enjoy the ride, you won't grow. And what I've learned is with risk, you learn to find your talents and find out your strength. And it's hard, but if you, once you learn about that and not, and take risk, you can find out your maturity and as you grow. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else against the question if is if I am already saved Oh sorry <laughs> um, if we abide in his word and his word abides in us then it changes us, it's living and it changes changes who we are and so we have to walk that out in our to mature or evolve, I guess you could say. Thank you. Those are great responses to that question. If I am already saved, why do I have to make the effort to obtain spiritual maturity? Why not relax and enjoy the ride? Okay, we're back. Ooh, okay, we're back to the other mic. You know, when I think of that question there, and, and I used to do this when I was in school. I really did. I know nobody else did this but James, especially in those uh, those essay classes that I was in, those courses, and the teacher said, "Okay, got to write this paper." I didn't care. If, can we turn it down? Okay, how about that? Is that better? Okay, so what I, I wanted to know, okay, you want me to write an essay. How many pages can I get away with and still get a D, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, or if it was a word thing, I would go, how many words? 
versus just go out there and go for it. So, you know, and again, this type of question reminds me of that. And so, so then, like many other things in life, what we get out of Christianity is largely determined by what we put into Christianity, what we put into our faith. Acquiring spiritual maturity is important for the work to be accepted, if you will. And, and it's important for two reasons, you might say. It's important for two reasons. Number one, in spiritual matters, if we do not consciously move forward, then we unconsciously move backwards. The text that you see on the board, Romans 6, verse 12, the Bible says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So not only are we talking about then continuing to move forward consciously, but we're also talking about pursuing uh, when we talk about pursuing spiritual maturity, then we look at the second stage of the process. We will be looking at uh, of this four stage process. And that stage is transformation, which we will get back to that in a minute. God has planned for us. He has planned for those of us who believe in Christ Jesus to be transformed. So what we are about to do then is look at the four stages first before we actually get into uh, step number two of this 10-step process. So stage number one is regeneration salvation. That's us coming to Christ Jesus. That's us coming to Christ Jesus in faith, and, and we're expressing this faith in repentance and baptism. And we're going from being lost, we're going from being con- a condemned sinner to being a saved saint, which means that, that we have been forgiven and made alive through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, remember Acts 2.38, the first, Peter's first sermon there, and that sermon that he preached was so thought-provoking that at the end of it, people were flocking to him. And the question was, man, what must we do to be saved? And Peter responded to them, what you see in Acts Peter said, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So stage one then is regeneration and salvation. Stage two is sanctification. That's why where we are set apart. This is the process of developing spiritual maturity, developing godliness, if you will. What we need is this. We need the help of God's word, which is the Bible. We need the help of God's spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. Check this out. We also need the help of God's people, which is the church. This series is an instrument to facilitate that process. Now, note something very clear here when it comes to spiritual maturity. In order for it to be acquired, there's a formula. And if you leave, just like any formula, when we put in together any type of a formula for success, if you leave any part of that formula out, it is not going to work. So what is the formula? God's word, 
plus God's spirit plus God's people equals spiritual maturity. If you would look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, that slide is not on the board. But if you would turn over there, listen to what the words say. And notice here when we're reading this, there's no I here. Okay, There's no I here. It's us. It's we. Us and we. No I. Uh, check this out. Hebrews 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in water. Let us hold fast to confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as now it gets a little bit personal as you see the day drawing near. Again, we have God's word plus God's spirit plus God's people working together to help us individually achieve spiritual maturity. I take you to Colossians 1, verse 9. Colossians 1, at verse 9. The Bible reads, For this reason we also... Since the day we heard about it, have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So stage one and stage two, regeneration and salvation. Stage two, sanctification. We move to stage three, which is glorification. Now, glorification is the putting on of our glorified bodies, our glorified heavenly bodies, when Christ Jesus um, raises us from the dead at the end of the world. At 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42, the Bible reads, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So those four stages then. Regeneration and salvation, sanctification, glorification, and number four is exaltation. This is the reason for the glorified bodies. This is the reason for the glorified bodies. And the reason is to enable us to exist with God as in heaven with God, praising God, honoring God, glorifying God. In Second Timothy... Second Timothy 2, verse 11, the Bible reads, 
It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. So what the bottom line in all of this right here is this. Spiritual maturity is important. And it is important because it protects us from sliding backwards into our into our worldly ways and prepares us. Not only that, it prepares us, you could say, for entry into the spiritual realm of heaven when Christ Jesus returns. Now, we have spoken about the first step to spiritual maturity uh, in, in our 10-step process, which was discipline or self-control or self-discipline. It's the process of developing this virtue. It's a process where we have to understand it's important because without control or without self-control uh, self, uh, self or self, I should say, or authority over our own spirit, what will happen? We will not be able to cultivate, we will not be able to master the other nine steps of this journey. Got to start with that foundation. That foundation is self-controlled and disciplined, and then it builds itself up from there. So with that said then, with that said, it takes us to the second step in this 10-step process. And that second step in this journey is intimacy. Intimacy. Intimacy is... A close relationship, not just a close relationship, a very close relationship with God. Intimacy means belonging to someone else. It means close contact. It means familiarity or close association. And the idea is for us as Christians to be as close to God as we can possibly get. And God will have us right there in his face. Intimacy is both a state and a feeling. Intimacy feels warm. It feels satisfying. It feels accepting. It feels personal. It feels deep. It feels private. It feels exclusive. It feels safe. It feels comfortable. That's intimacy. I want to take us to Genesis 2 and verse 25. Genesis 2 and verse 25. A lot of us have read that, so we know where I'm going with this. It's an example where our Bible says that at Adam and Eve, the man and his wife, as he was talking about there, were both naked and were not ashamed. They were not simply physically naked and not ashamed, but they were also emotionally and spiritually naked. They were totally transparent, totally transparent. And they were not afraid of that. They were not ashamed of that. You know, just a side note here. Sometimes when I read uh, Genesis 3 and, and that day when Christ Jesus came walking through the garden in the cool of the day and he was looking for Adam and Eve and he called out for him and, and they had hidden themselves and they said, we, we hid because we were naked. And I, I would laugh and I go like, and what had changed other than you sin? You were naked before you sinned. So, so, you, so you're acting like something changed, but something did. You sinned, but in terms of clothing, you didn't have any of those on anyway. So this transparency meant that they knew each other intimately with nothing hidden, nothing camouflaged. 
This is the type of, of relationship that, if we think about it, we strive to have in our marriage. This is the type of relationship that that we must cultivate with God in order to arrive at spiritual maturity. And if this is so, if this is so, how then do we discipline ourselves for intimacy with God? So I'm going to present you with two ways. Number one. Conform to his way. And and the second half of that, and this deal, number one, conform to his will for our lives. Conform to his way and conform to his will for our lives. In other words. Do not let the physical world rule and we make it really personal here. Do not let the physical world rule my time, my priorities, my desire my life. Godliness, that is spiritual maturity, does not happen by accident. You know, we, we use that term in science, osmosis. This does not happen by virtue of osmosis. It doesn't matter how good mom or dad was or isn't. They got nothing to do with whether or not I am or not. I am not. We have to work at it. Remember last week we were talking about effort. It takes effort to come to Christ Jesus, to God through Christ Jesus. It takes effort to stay close to God through Christ Jesus. It takes effort to die close to God through Christ Jesus. So then cultivating intimacy, cultivating intimacy with God requires us to Actually pay attention to God. When I say pay attention, I'm talking, not talking about that pseudo stuff. I'm talking about real stuff here. Nothing false, but real. Real attention is what God wants. As Christ Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, uh, 22 at verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God. Okay, got that, Christ Jesus. And then what? Oh, with all of your heart. Okay, I got that. Now what? Oh yeah, with all of your, your, your soul. Oh, yeah, got that. And with all of your mind. Whoa, that's a lot. Again, I say to us, it requires a great deal of effort. It requires a great deal of effort to every day to get up and love God without total being. It takes a lot of effort to do that. It's not easy. And sometimes I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that we make. When we are teaching people the Bible, we've come to that point where it's easier for us than it used to be. And we make a mistake and tell them how easy it is. And after a short period of time, after a short period of time, what happens is this. The person gets discouraged because they're saying, by, by George, look how easy it was for Bob. Look how hard it is for me. What was hard for Bob to it in, in that young stage? But over time, over, over, over use, like it says in, in uh, Hebrews, you know, we come, we, we transition from that time where the word of God is, is milk to the point where that word of God is solid food. And, and that's the way it works. That is the way it works for everyone. So then intimacy is not <laughs> religiosity. Like what? religiosity what that means is this intimacy with god is not fake external spirituality there's nothing fake about it intimacy with god is real it is developed and it is seen in several ways in sincere praying in sincere serving in sincere worshiping 
and insincere given. Now, we got the first part taken care of. Let's go to the second part now. The second way to intimacy with God is this. Allow God to deal with me on his terms, not my terms. You see, our terms with God always serve my purpose. For example, when it comes to me and I'm doing, I'm doing all the talking, I'm saying basically like this, hey God, listen up. Hey God, listen up. This is what I want you to do. I want you to make me more healthy. I want you to make me more wealthy. I want you to make me more happier. I want you to take care of my families. I want you to take care of everything I need. You got it? In other words, I don't want to do anything except reap the benefits. I don't want to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. I don't want to love my neighbor as myself. I don't want to do any of that. All I want to do is reap the benefits because you're God. That's how we approach it. Last week we talked about uh, this gentleman by the name of Swindoll's book. And in his book he made this comment right here. He says... God often does his best work in us. And this is something we might be able to relate to because sometimes God has a way of slipping up on us and, and we didn't know he was coming. But, but God often does his best work in us, in me, when he catches me by surprise and introduces a change that is completely against my own desire. A perfect example of that will be Acts chapter 16 at verse 6. Now remember, Paul, I mean, he was tenacious. He was tenacious, I should say. He was tenacious. He was tenacious when he was prosecuted, persecuting the church, and he was tenacious when he became a Christian and he was building up the church. He didn't lose, he didn't lose one ounce of strength in what he was doing. So, and so what we find in Acts 16 and verse 6 is this right here. Paul wanted to go preach to the east where the territory was vast and the gospel was not there. What did God do? God frustrated Paul. He frustrated his plan. He sent him west to Rome. West to Rome where he was eventually martyred or killed. That was something that I'm sure Paul did not get up this morning and said, boy, I can't wait to go to Rome and see what I can can stir up and see how long it will take him to kill me. I don't think Paul had that on his mind. But what happened? Paul established a church in the Roman Empire. And by virtue of the fact that he established a church in the Roman Empire, and he was able to do it because it flourished and it spread throughout there because of the work that spread throughout the world. And we know this right here. And we read, we read this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. We know that despite this change that led to his suffering, And Paul suffered a lot. His opposition, he received a whole lot of that. His imprisonment more than one time and his death. What did Paul do? Paul grew closer. Paul developed a more intimate relationship with God. What did Paul do? He died praising God. What did Paul do? He died glorifying God not because you put me in this situation so I could die but he died glorifying God for the blessings 
that God had placed before him. And in the end, in the end, Paul was close to and very much like God. The end, which is the end result of intimacy. When we, we, when I allow God to deal with me on his terms, and I accept it, several things naturally happens to me. Number one, it moves me to seek him more intensely. Number two, it makes me more dependent on him. And number three, it produces a godly character within me. The closer I draw to God, the closer I draw to God, it's like a circle. It just keeps going round and round and repeating itself. The closer I draw to God, the more he deals with me. The more he deals with me, the closer I draw to him. And it just keeps going around and around and around. And it doesn't get monotonous. This is how the dynamics of spiritual intimacy works. Godliness or spiritual maturity becomes the result of being molded by God. Why? Because God and I are intimate. I have that intimate relationship with him. Okay. I hope you all had a, a, a chair. How's that? Okay, I'll try to keep it away from my mouth here. So, that should work right there. Okay, so these are thought-provoking questions, which means there's no wrong answer. That's what you are thinking. So, since that's what you're thinking, it is perfectly okay. So, question number one, if you so choose to want to, uh, to approach it, question number one, would you describe yourself as an open person or a closed person? Explain why you think that might be. And I don't mind starting out on this one. All of the above. All of the above. There are days when I am so open, it's crazy. And there are days when I am so closed, it's crazy. And it all depends on the situation I'm in. If I'm in a difficult situation where it's a, where it, 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 the, the whole thing is going south on me, I'm going to close up real quick because I tend to open my mouth sometime and put my foot in it. So I just shut it down. If it's a good thing going on at the time, I can't shut the bad boy up and I'm sticking my foot and everything else in my mouth. That's the way it is. 
that's, that's the way it is with me. I don't know how it is with you. Anybody else? Okay. <laughs> yeah, everybody's close. <laughs> Number two. Ah, on a scale of one, very far, to ten, very close, how near to God, not how near to God you are, how near to God do you feel? And what reason do you believe have kept you where you are at this moment. Okay. Did you want to say something? Oh. Okay. I jump on that one too. Scale of one to ten. I run somewhere between four and eight, I think, on a given day. When I'm really focused, I'm really close to ten. But when I'm not focused, I'm really close to four. Now, back in the day when I first became a Christian, I was running about a, a point five. And, and so then the day I was baptized, I was around a 10. But then I put my foot in my mouth. <laughs> okay, so, so I dropped off a bit. So this is one of those things, too, where it fluctuates. I mean, a lot of people might say, well, I'm always hanging out at number 10. Wow, you're great. You are good. You are good. But the closest I was ever at 10, if I was even at 10, was the day I stepped out of the waters of baptism. After that, I've been putting my foot in my mouth ever since. Anybody else? Okay. Let's try this one. Number three. Share a time or experience when you felt... You can go with both of those or one of those. Share a time experience when you felt the closest to God or when you felt the furthest from God. Anybody want to shoot for the closest to God? Okay. Uh, I, I'd say the time I feel closest to God is when you're doing more service, when you're doing more for Him, when you're doing than for yourself. And when that backs off, then you start feeling further away from Him. At least that's the way it works for me. Okay. So that's fair. Um, I'm I'm an open person. Um, my cardiologist told me not to keep things pinned up, so you know out it comes, right? And uh, uh, the the worst kind of thing that you can try to pin up is a secret, uh, knowing that uh, you know God knows your heart; uh, He knows what's going on. The reality that there are no secrets. There's really no such thing, you know. Um, and on that scale of 1 to 10, uh, you know, Hebrews talks about the great cloud of witnesses uh, and all those faithful mentioned there just before that in chapter 11. Uh, we all have a great cloud of witnesses in our lives. My cloud of witnesses would be all the people that have influenced me spiritually since the time I became a Christian. Uh, Jimmy Jividen, the Sams, Sam Harden, Sam Robinson, all of the many men that have 
taught and preached here and uh, been faithful Christian friends to me and, and uh, been involved in my spiritual development, which is still in progress, uh, by the way. And I'd hate to disappoint that great cloud of witnesses by uh, saying that, uh, that, you know, that I'm not close to God. I am close to God. The people at work think I'm crazy because they think I talk to myself. Uh, and when they ask, I'll tell them, oh, just talking to God. And, uh, you know, I, James had mentioned when I forget, my number is low, and when I remember, it's high. Well, I've, you know, I, I forget too easily, and, and that's, that's more and more true as I age. I forget too easily. Sometimes I forget who I belong to. So the, the best way for me to remember who I belong to and who I am is just to, to carry on that conversation with God all day long. And, uh, and so that's why I appear to be talking to myself sometimes. I'm not. Thank you. Anyone else? When I feel close to God when I'm walking, I like to walk, and that way I can just think about the things in my life, and I can pray to Him, and I can give my thoughts and my cares to Him. All right, thank you. Anyone else? I have to be careful because I don't want to get emotional, but um, when I felt closest to God was when I was going to cancer. Um, I felt everybody's prayers. Everybody was on my side praying for me, and I, I could just feel that. And I just had, like, um, a warmth surround me all the time. I also felt closest to God because I was praying to him more. I was depending on him uh, getting me through it. And, um, yeah, it was a hard time, but it was, like, the best time, if that makes sense. Any more hands? Question number four. What is your strongest spiritual discipline? Prayer, praise, giving, service, etc., 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 all of the above? Do you want to tackle your weakest? Anyone? Liz, I told you I'm losing weight. (laughs) I personally feel that uh, my strongest spiritual discipline is during prayer. It's the one time that we can be honest and be ourselves when we're in private with God. And we can actually be open and not have to think about what others feel or hear. We simply have a conversation with God. So our hearts are open and we have nothing because we know that we can hide nothing from him. So there's, a, there's nothing between us. It's a time that we can be most open and most honest with ourselves. Thank you. Anyone else? Um, I'll address them all. My strongest is prayer and thanksgiving. Um, I always, always, always pray. And I'm always, 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 always thankful. 
and I go down the line of how many things I'm thankful for. For an example, while we were in Texas, our boiler went out, so we have not had heat, hot water, since May. And Glenn said, well, what are we going to do? I go, we have a motorhome. We can shower in a motorhome. I never once wondered, because to me, God always make a way, and you just have to find it. And so instead of complaining about it, I just go to the motorhome and shower. And it's smaller, but the water's just as hot. So I'm constantly being thankful. So pretty soon we'll get a new boiler and it'll have some hot water and I won't have to go to my daughter's to wash. But my weakest is that I'm not consistent with my studies. And I think that bothers me because I was doing so good. I was reading every night, every night, every night, every night, just reading my Bible, reading my Bible. Then I stopped. And so that's my weakest point, trying to make sure, because I want to go through the Bible over and over and over again. So my weakest is just being consistent and studying by myself. Thank you. Anyone else? My weakest, my weakest is when I'm in my truck and I'm driving myself and that, you know, that person gets in the way and there starts a seed in the heart, in the head and in the heart. And then I catch myself. I, and then, sorry, I'm yelling at you. Even he doesn't know what I'm saying because I'm in my truck and no one can see what I'm doing in my truck. So... But that's my weakest time is when I'm in the truck and everyone gets in my way. (laughs) Thank you. Anyone else? One more. Number five. How do you think God is dealing with you today? What do you think he wants from you? I know he's always after me. (laughs) He's always after me. Um, I don't believe he wants me to just be content with things. Uh, Why serve as an elder? It's one of the most difficult jobs you can have in your life. Why do you want to do it? And each time there's a challenge, it it seems like it's there for a reason to make me stronger and better than, than I am so that I can take care of another challenge. It's almost like Something may happen today that I don't understand it right now, but next week, next month, the next year, the experience I gained from that event today is going to help me over there. And really, serving as an elder here at this congregation, that first time I served as an elder and those things that I went through, being a preacher down in Akiski, that has helped me be a better elder for this congregation here because of that experience that God allowed me to go through. And it seems like you know, I, I did not wake up like Paul. I did not wake up expecting somebody to say, can you come down to Nikiski and preach for the next seven years? I really wasn't thinking about that. Even when I came back to finish that working down there and came back to, the, to Anchorage here to worship here, the last thing I had on my mind was serving as an elder. I just wanted to come here and worship. And shortly thereafter, someone uh, nominated me to serve as an elder. But God had put me in a position so that it wasn't an issue. So 
how could I turn it down? Just like Paul. (laughs) You want me to go to Rome, I'm going to Rome. (laughs) So that's the way it is. All right. If there are no other questions, no other comments, let's close this up. So then in closing this up, summary, the closer I draw to God, again, wait, that's the wrong one, wrong page. In an effort to be like God, in an effort to be like God, I need to go deep within God. Not just enjoy the view from the mountaintop. We've got to get close. We want, I want substance in my relationship with God. That's the way we should be thinking. Not just a speedy worship. I want substance. I want to feel love. I want to feel closeness with God. Not just talk about religion. The way to all of these is to cultivate the second step in our journey to spiritual maturity, and that is intimacy. Intimacy with God. We need that foundation of self-discipline, but that self-discipline helps us better understand what it means to have an intimate relationship with God. So, I thank you all for joining us tonight. I thank you for all of your comments. And for those online, uh, we have our contact information on the board. Should you want to talk to us, we would love to have you come by and really see us in person and worship with us. But in the meanwhile, uh, our contact information on the board, we have a wonderful devotional coming up in a few minutes. So, uh, again, thank you all for being here. And I'll have the questions for next week or the thought questions for next week in the bulletin by tomorrow. Thank you.